0: Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your word, and we thank you for the gospel of Mark. Um, Father, we do pray uh, that as we um, enter this, this new section of Mark, as we focus um, on the Passion Week, Lord, that you would, um, Lord, help the story to be anew to us, Lord, help us uh, to guard ourselves from letting the familiarness of, of the story and the stories of the next few months uh, to, to impede our ability to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would give us humble hearts and open ears um, that we would hear from you, and that you would move us along in our walk, that you would grow us deeper in our relationship with Christ. Uh, we do thank you uh, for the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, and it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? They spoke to them, just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission uh, they brought the colt to Jesus and put, on their, put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father David. Hosanna in the highest, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So as I as I prayed, we're entering the. There's six sections in the Gospel of Mark. We're entering into the fifth section of the Gospel of Mark. Um, the fifth section is going to take us, oh, I think it's to the end of chapter thirteen, and and really we're just in the last section from here until the end. Uh, we're we're covering the the Passion Week, and so um, really this the Sunday through Sunday of of Jesus's life. Um, these these stories are are really familiar today. We're doing Palm Sunday, which it's supposed to come the Sunday before Easter, but it came early for us this year, and, um, and, and, and there's a danger of, of these stories and, and, a, and a fear that, that I have is, is the story of, of Palm Sunday and all of, many of the stories we're going to cover are, are, are super familiar to, to most people, and with that, it's, it's really easy to sort of almost be inoculated to the, to the power of the reality of what happened. And so my prayer is that God would awaken us and, and help us to see them anew and to see uh, the, the importance of, of what's before us. Um, so I, I'm going to say some numbers don't, that don't take them as like science. I didn't like count verses. But if my math is right, there's the, the, the gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—they there's 79 total chapters in all of the Gospels. Um, 29 of those chapters focus on the Passion Week. That's 37 percent of the Gospels account for one week of the three years of Jesus' life, which tells me that this information that they're presenting to us is critical that when they reflected on the life of Christ, this week of Jesus entering into Jerusalem for the last time was of such significance that when they wrote about the life of Christ, they slowed down dramatically. Mark, who, who m- many people like, enjoy the quickness in which he tells the story, we get to chapter 11 and everything slows way down. And so, so he's, he's devoting a huge portion of his gospel to this last week, um, it's going to take us four months to finish the Gospel of Mark. We should finish um, at the end of June, and then in in August, um, what we do in July, is we, we're still figuring that out. But but I'm going to, um, Larry in the bathroom last week convinced me on a new book, and so uh, it's very the spirit led Larry, and. Uh, So I think we're going to tackle Judges next. So I'm looking forward to Judges for the fall. And uh, so that's why I'm kind of pausing in July to kind of get caught up and doing some study before we enter in. Okay, so as we look at the first verse here, as they approach Jerusalem at Bethpage, um, I've I've also said I I think the way they say it in Hebrew is Bethphage, um, but we say Bethpage or phage, and Bethany near Mount of Olives. And so they've now made their approach to, to Jerusalem. Um, to, to kind of orientate ourselves, I didn't have the map. I just put the map of the sort of looking from Mount of Olives towards the Temple in modern day behind me. Uh, the walk from the Sea of Galilee down to Jericho, where we were last week, is about sixty-five miles, and then from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's about fifteen miles. So you have a, a, it's a it's a total of about um, an 80-mile walk. And Jesus has walked the whole way. Um, Jericho, for simplicity and ease of understanding, we'll basically call it, it's kind of like the Dead Sea area. And the Dead Sea is uh, basically 1,300 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem is at 2,600 feet <clears throat> elevation. And so it's, a, it's, it's, it's about a 4,000-foot climb in the scope of 15 miles, to help that sink in for us, because it's like okay, 15 miles, 4,000 feet, great. So, what's that really mean? Like, um, what that kind of looks like. So for us, to the top of Palabar Mountain, that's about 28 miles, and it's a 5,000 mile. A five thousand mile, five thousand foot ascent from from the church to the top of Palomar. So, so it's it's farther from here to the top of the Palomar, but it's also thousand feet higher. For simplicity of our understanding, that's about how high it is. You know, like so. So it's a it, it's a it's a good climb, and um, they've 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 made their walk down. Jesus has got his fitbit his Fitbit steps in for for the journey. I don't know how many steps you get in 80 miles, but he's walked a huge portion of this. His whole ministry is walking. and, And they make their approach to Jerusalem. There is nothing quite like the image that's behind me. I don't care how many times you've seen it. There's something breathtaking about that little spot of earth and the history and the prophecy that's yet to come in that location. There's just... Something about pulling up, and uh, if you have a good guide, he'll always tell you to look the wrong way. Like he'll, oh, up on the left here we have something. There's nothing on the left, and then he's like, oh yeah, by the way, look to the right, and you look to the right, and it's like there's there it is, and it's just you know I've seen people kind of come to, to tears. It's 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 overwhelming. It's. Um, it's it, there's like a, a pull to this place like even if you get there late and like on this last trip we got there and it's like oh let's go down to the western wall let's just get down there and it, who cares after dinner we'll just and and there's just something about seeing this location and i i sort of think by where this story is going we're going to see there make their journey there they get there jesus looks around it's like oh, it's late let's go home and there's just something breathtaking But there's also something very heartbreaking to Jesus as he makes his approach for his last time into Jerusalem. Um, The the Gospel of Luke, which I'm not going to give you all of the things, but, but the parallel accounts are up there. But in the Gospel of Luke, this is what Luke writes about the approach. He said, When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. The reason? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And so Jesus, as he rolls into Jerusalem, he says he's weeping because the, I, I, Israel, as this this crowd descends upon the town for Passover, um, I, I want to say that the the, the town um, was a town of about seventy thousand people, and during um, the Passover, it would swell to upwards of a quarter million people, and he he weeps over it. Um, and, and what he's saying, look, what some have gone as far, I. I, I I'm really close, but I'm not going to go that like, that far. But, but from Daniel 9.24, the, the, the dealing with this passage, we just went through Daniel about a year ago. You can go through and look it up. I'm not going to read the whole passage. But, but there in Daniel, this prophecy is given that from a certain time, so many days, the Messiah will arrive. And, and there's been very scholarly people that said that, that you could know to the day, that when the Messiah was to roll into town, and, and, they, and the case, which I think there's a strong case, Jesus is weeping. He said, the day of your visitation, you should have known, but you didn't know. And here the Messiah is about to roll in, and you haven't done anything about it. And, and so when I look at this picture of Jesus as he enters Jerusalem, I see the Messiah's heart that is weeping for the lost and my, with, within me, I feel convicted, like, Lord, I want my heart to ache like yours does for the lost. And and I don't think that we as um, the Christian community at large, I don't think that we really have broken hearts for the lost like Christ did. And so my prayer is that we would be more like him in this. And so they, they, they make their approach. They see the beauty of the city, and he gives them a mission. He says that he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. So they're on one side of Mount of Olives. He says to go down to the city opposite you. You're going to get there. You're going to find a donkey that's a, 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 a baby donkey that's basically unbroken, that's never been written, and, and just bring it here. And so... The like I've been trying to think of an equivalent to help put this into perspective. It would be like for any one of us saying, go down to Auto Parkway, go hop in a brand new car. It has to be fresh off the lot, never been driven before. Scrab the keys and drive off. And if they come and stop you, just tell them the Lord is in need of it. And my guess is you'll have Escondido Police Department on you pretty quick. Um before you get too far. And so uh, we don't get any reaction of the guy. Like I just, okay, so you want us to go steal a donkey or a mule or, yeah, a donkey. I got it right the first time. Um, but Jesus is going to give him, he's like, hey, I got, a, you know, I got the code word for you. Like there's a code word when you get in there, which I kind of gave it up. He says, if anybody says to you, what are you, do, why, what are you doing? Why are, why are you doing this? Why are you stealing my donkey? Just tell them the Lord has need of it. And when you say that code word, it's yours. And immediately he will send it back here. And so, um, there's just there's so many questions. Like, like the disciples, there's no response on their part. Maybe Jesus has just broken them. Like, okay, we're just going to do what he says. Like, it'll work out. Um, Like, one of the questions that comes to my mind, like, why? We've just talked about all the miles that Jesus walked. He walked, so at this point, if it's 80 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem, he's walked 78 or 79 miles. And so now this last mile, he needs a ride? Like, what's going on? Like, so the last mile, Jesus now says, go steal a donkey and bring it back to me so that I can have, like, just ride to the bottom of the hill and then get off. Um, So Matthew credits this to prophecy. Um, I I warned you about Zechariah. So if you'll turn back to Zechariah, and don't lose your bookmark because we're going to end here as well. But so in Zechariah chapter 9, so when Matthew who cares, I don't want to say Matthew like that the others don't care, but Matthew is concerned with showing the Jewish reader all of the prophecy connected to Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled all of, all of these things. Um, he says that concerning the donkey, the why this was done, he goes back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and he says the reason this was done was because the prophet Zechariah said, in Zechariah 9, 9, "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! "'Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem!' Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and is endowed with salvation, humble and motivated or mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the full of a donkey. And so this picture of, of, of the king is, is fascinating. So the fact that it's a donkey, that's huge because a donkey is an animal of peace com- contrasted with a horse, which is a war animal, um, you know, we we don't necessarily, in today's terms, think of horses as war animals, um, but but in many respects, they're still used in that way. I mean, I think I think San Diego PD might still have a mounted posse, like a mounted uh, contingent. I think uh, New York City has mounted horses. We just got back from Spain. One of the stops that we go to is the the famous horses of Andalusia, and. And, and there they have these great horses that are doing all their jumps, like oh they're dancing. It's like that's not dancing. That's like that's those are that's for battle kind of thing. To you know like how would you like to go walk up on a horse that's jumping up and like and it's like uh, I, I'm not going to demonstrate the kicking out of the back legs that I was tempted, but it's like th- those are war creatures. And you see through the scriptures in the old, in the Old Testament and and sort of looking forward to Revelation that the King's going to make his entry not on a donkey but on a horse. And it, so it's this. This battle posture, but here what we refer to as, um, you know, this is this triumphal entry. Here Jesus comes on this animal of peace, on this donkey. And it it was prophesied in Zechariah, and they're gonna they're gonna miss what's going on in the 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 bigger scheme of uh, of the scriptures. And it's understandable. We'll close was sort of looking at the picture of Jesus' true triumphal entry. Um, but here, as we look at this story, and Jesus tells them to go get them the donkey, maybe there's no sign of them talking back because they all understood they were awaiting a Messiah that would enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so they're kind of, maybe they're for it, and they, the crowd certainly um, is going to receive Jesus well. And so in verse 4, we see that they went away and they found a colt tied at the door outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And so they said, oh, Jesus gave us a code word. Let's see if it works. <laughs> and they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. Uh, how much better would our lives go if we just did what Jesus told us to do, um, and they gave them permission, and it, it, like, it worked, it, just as Jesus said. So they go get the donkey, they, they bring the donkey back, it, we'll get into that. This is, this is sort of the line of demarcation. Um, a few years ago, looking at this story in another gospel, I, I, I stumbled across something that Charles Swindoll had wrote, and it really stood out to me. Concerning when they're bringing the donkey back, the next verse we're going to read, Jesus is on the donkey, he's going to enter in. But Charles Swindoll writes this about this sort of this line in the sand. He says, it just happened, wait, I just happened to read an article about Niagara Falls where the say, at the time, 30, millions, 30 million gallons of poured over the precipice each minute. Somewhere just upstream of that sheer drop is a sign indicating the point of no return. If you fall into the river beyond that point, you're going over the edge. This image tied in perfectly with this moment in Jesus' life. He would walk into Jerusalem, but he wouldn't walk back out. His disciples would carry him out. And, and, and so the, the, the weight and the power of, of this moment is huge. Like, it's like, okay, we just, oh, Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he gets on the donkey, he goes in. No, 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 it's so much bigger than this. There's, like, prophecy saying the Messiah would do that. And in doing this, he's, he's upping, not, I don't want to say he's upping the ante, but, but as far as the religious leaders, this is, he's, he's going to his execution. He's no longer saying it's not the time, it's not the time. He's saying now is the time for me to fulfill all things, for me to go through with the sacrifice as the Messiah to do this for on our behalf, on the behalf of the nation of Israel, so that they would know and we would know salvation. And so they bring this, this colt to Jesus. And they put their coats on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their coats on the, in the road. And others spread leafy branches which they had cut in the fields and so here we have this animal of peace. We have this scene of where they, you know, they put their jackets. It's almost like they're making a makeshift saddle. Um, they start spreading um, their coats on the road and these branches on the road. So they're sort of like paving the way. And, and, and I, you know, we sort of look at this and we think, well, what's going on here? Like, what? Or, or maybe we don't think what's going on here. Maybe we think this is just what you do, like a donkey rides through and you, maybe, I, I, I don't know. But the reality is, is what they're doing, this was the process of inaugurating a king. And so if we were to go back, you don't have to go back, I'll just read it for you. But back in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 12 through 13, this is what we read. Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then they hurried and each man took his garment and placed it under him on the base of the steps and blew the trumpet saying, Jehu is king. And so there's this, there's this, There's this image in the Old Testament that repeated itself that when a king was inaugurated, this is what they do. They put the saddles, they put the stuff on the land, and then this big entry. And we're going to see their reaction, that they're all for Jesus at this point in his ministry as he's making his entry, as they sat oppressed underneath Rome's iron fist, as they were longing for their Messiah, the one that was going to come and reign and rule and free them from the bondage that they were in. They're super ecstatic. This is their patriotism at its finest. When we talk about Palm Sunday and bringing in palm branches, there's something about this tri- like tradition that, that, that I don't know, kind of concerns me. It, it, it would be the equivalent, and we're sort of in that season. You know, We're in the electoral season. We're, we're in the process of uh, voting for... Um, uh, the president of the United States and we, we see American flags and waving and this is our guy and he's the, whoever it is, all of our problems are going to be solved. And so as this crowd develops and grows, this is, this is patriotism. This isn't necessarily spirituality. This is, this is our guy that's going to free us from this oppression. We're going to get out from Rome's iron fist and they completely miss Isaiah 53 of the suffering the suffering messiah coming that he was coming to give his life as a ransom as he told them over and over and over again and so it's this story in particular like as we head into the elections we we live in a country we live in a country where we're really blessed um we live in a country where the 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 lines it's really easy for us to to blur the lines most countries historically you have a ruler up top and that 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 power is uh gained uh, th- through through war through through holding a system down and and, and so the people that are underneath that system there's there's not really anything that you can do. You're not voting for the next leader. You're not v- voting for how things are going to go. You find yourself under it. And so when we read the New Testament, we talk read about, you know, you're to be in subjection to the authorities over you. It, it was the way it was. Like and, and so here we find ourselves as Christians during this, this period in history where we have a nation that's... It, of the people, by the people, for the people, that part of our subjecting ourselves to the, the authorities that are above us means that we vote and we have a voice and we can express our opinions. And, and, and that's, that's great. But I also think our system really aids in the blurriness of our allegiance, so I'm not saying as Christians we're to step out of this. No, I think we have a great system that be, be involved, but don't don't lose sight of who the Lord is, and and regardless of who's in authority, we can cast our our ballot. We can do whatever we want to do, and whoever wins, it's in the Lord's hands. We, you know, the man, or does it say the man casts a lot, but the God God decides, and and so. Whoever your person is, don't don't get too excited and don't get too sad. Like if your guy loses, don't get too sad. If your guy wins, don't get too happy because really history is in God's hands. And and we as Christians need to remind ourselves of that. And I think in this moment, as Jesus is on this donkey, as the actual Messiah, like like this isn't just some guy that's claiming to solve all their problems. He is actually the Messiah. And... And so he's entering, he's getting on this donkey. We see the enthusiasm, but I think that they were trying to steer the Messiah the way that they wanted. They were, they were adding their emotions into what the, t- the text had said. It's easy for us to criticize looking backwards. Um, I, I think from their example, what I, what I learned is to be real like humble towards the text, be passionate about the text. But you might have a brother or sister that might view it one way and you might view it this other way. And I don't think God wants us to be like necessarily arguing with each other. Like there's something to be, you know, iron sharpening iron. But there's you know, that's I love it when people come to me and they're like, Well, where do you stand on the like what 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 camp are you in? I'm like, Well, I'm a theological mutt. I like I kind of like a little bit of that, and I like a little bit of that, and and sometimes that camp and that camp, I see their side from the scripture, and I just want to be true to scripture. Like I want the Bible to have authority. And so sometimes that just kind of where I end up is on my knees saying, I don't know. And I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I just want to be faithful to the word of God. And I know that I'm bent a certain way where I like like my bent is I want to manipulate it so that the it, it spits out, which which is a way that's more pleasant for me. Okay, verse nine. So they've set up; the, they've set everything up, and we read: those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, the coming kingdom of our Father David. Hosanna in the highest!" And so, what what are they what are they saying? Well, "Hosanna" means "save us." We pray. Like, they want salvation. Now, now we as Christians, removed 2,000 years, we hear salvation in the term of spiritual salvation, to to be redeemed, to be saved from the condemnation of our sin. I don't know that that's how the Old Testament always used it. Of course, it used it in that way. But a lot of times it could mean like salvation from like literal death, harm. It could have been salvation from the oppression of Rome is how I think that they were sort of indicating this. Um, The next thing they say is, um, blessed, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Last week we talked about the blind guy who screamed out, the only guy to scream out in David or to reference Jesus as the son of David. We talked about the Davidic covenant found in Samuel. And so now they're referencing this Davidic covenant that, that here is the promised Messiah that will send up his his eternal throne that will have no end. And so they're, they're screaming out all of the, or they're shouting out, I maybe that means shout, screaming, not, but it's this mob scene. And they're like, here's the savior. Here's the son of David. Here's our answers are all of our hope. He's going to, he's going to get rid of Rome. He's going to make everything great for us. And all I can think of is how fast this crowd goes from screaming, Hosanna, to crucify. Like it's going to take us four months to get through this, but it's only a matter of days for them before they're standing before Pilate saying, crucify him, crucify him. Meaning that Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't fulfilling what they thought should be happening, so they're going to ditch Jesus and go against him. This wasn't faith that they're screaming. This is a a humanistic sort of um, plea for a man to sort of solve their problems. And so then we come to verse 11, the last verse of today. um, It says that Jesus entered Jerusalem. And he came into the temple. And so from the picture behind us, it's hard to see. Like I was really, I didn't know which would translate the best. It's never, it's it's, it's hard to put something on this little screen and say, oh, just imagine like you're there. It's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to do that with any picture. But so from this picture, this is the, the wall. Um, the east gate, I can't even see it on here, but the east gate is somewhere right in there. But if you come all the way to the south, on the south edge of the temple, that's where the steps were. And so he would have made his way down along the Kedron Valley, then up, and then he would have entered the temple. And the the, the te- like, like I've talked about the, like the, the magnitude of the temple. It, it's just, it's hard to explain. He made this, Jesus has made this trip multiple times over the course of his life. But there's, there's something you get there, and it's, I mean, it's, it, it, the size of the, it's like 25 acres is how big it is, and it's beautiful, and And during this time, it was the second, the, the second temple where Herod and all of his building skills had, like, rebuilt it, so it's just, I mean, it stands out. There's There's so much history on that little piece of land, going back to King David, and, and or, or, you know, Abraham sacrificing Isaac right at that spot. Like, you can't not be, like, gripped with it. And so I don't know. Like, I don't know if Jesus had plans that night other than to go, like, let's make the entry. Let's go up, see it, and then make our way back. But according to Mark, it seems like they walk to the temple and I just see Jesus, like, stand on the inside going, wow, this isn't, like, I don't know that he was saying this impressive, but I see the other guys going, man, this is huge. But we know by next week, Jesus is going to be entering this temple with some, like, us, it's next week. For them, it's the the next morning. There's going to be some pretty righteous anger that we're going to see Jesus exhibiting and so I don't know if he's sitting there just like like I'm sure he's fuming. I think the disciples are like, "Wow, this is amazing." While Jesus is like veins in his neck are starting to bulge and they go, "You know what? Like we're going to just deal with this in the morning. Like this is bad what they have done." And I and I do think that there's some wisdom like you know, Jesus took a night to sleep on it. That didn't really help, but but I think there's some wisdom for us. If you're upset, you know, take a night, sleep on it, <laughs> see how you feel in the morning. Uh, maybe you have some righteous anger that you need, to, that, that's legitimate. But, but so our sto- like, this is our, this is a story, really simple story. And, the, and so the question that I always beg like myself each week is like, so what? Like, w- what's the big deal about this? Th- th- this? This week is referred to the triumphal entry, and I don't like... I don't know why we call it that. Um, I, have, I have some ideas, but I'm going to try to hold them for a little bit. But if we could go back to Zechariah, and in Zechariah chapter 14, just a, couple, just a couple pages away from what we read earlier, we see a future story from our position that hasn't happened yet. And is a story I like to read when I'm standing on Mount of Olives looking across at the, at the temple Um, which I think is a story of the actual triumphal entry. And so in Zechariah chapter 14, starting in verse 4, we read, In that day, future to us, his feet, the Messiah's, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. So he's kind of saying, like, from the position that you're looking at, the Messiah is going to come down like that, and it's like, boom. It's going to open up a straight line. Not to get too distracted, but this whole area up here, the East Gate, because of this prophecy, all of this area right here, those are, those are Muslim burial sites. They know this prophecy, and the way to stop the Messiah from going through is to put dead bodies because it's unclean. But you read Zechariah, and it seems like the problem is resolved by like, just moving them out of the way. That's a side note. Now I've got to get back to where we are. Um, verse 5, you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azil, Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with them. And in that day there will be no light, the luminaries will dwindle, for it will be a unique day, that's an understatement, which will be known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about about that at evening time there will be light. And in that day living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea. And it will be summer as well as in winter. And that's another fascinating thing that the archaeologists, not archaeologists, geologists in recent years, in recent years, I mean like in the last hundred years, um, just south of this, if you follow this down, there's a little finger. So like over here is the city of David. And there's a Hezekiah tunnel that you can go down to and there's waters flowing down there. And the geologists have said that I forget the number, but it's a huge amount of water that's sitting under Jerusalem um, that they didn't know really, I guess they knew about, I mean, they knew about a little bit because it was a water source, but but it kind of affirms that this is possible by the water source that's underneath uh, the mountain. Um, So verse nine, and the Lord will be king over all of the earth, and in that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. So why would I I read all of this? I think that when Jesus pulls up and they see this and we see the prophecy that Matthew tells us in Zechariah chapter 9 but if you just read the rest of Zechariah which they would have known the whole story there would have been in their minds understandably that oh this is that time. This is pretty significant. What What they missed was the offering that was being made. Simultaneously, while this is all going on, and which we'll get into in the next couple weeks, is that this was lamb selection day for the Passover. This is the day that as the families approached into Jerusalem, they would make their way to the temple. If they brought an animal, they would have to get it sort of cleared by the priest. If they didn't have one, they could go to the authorized dealers that were selling lambs that your family could sacrifice or whatever, Um, that you could then bring to the priest to be sacrificed during the Passover. They say something like, I, I think they say something like a quarter million lambs were sacrificed during this week. It was like a nonstop sacrificial that was happening. And on lamb selection day, the father has selected his lamb to go down the mountain, on the way to the temple, sort of to be checked out as like this is a sac- this is a this is a sacrifice that's worthy of being sacrificed. There's no blemish. There's no sin. There's no fault. And if that doesn't give you go- like it gives me absolute goosebumps. Like, th- this is the significance that we stand before God as sinners, and there's this huge. Divide. It, it cannot be bridged. But the the verses and the things that we've grown so accustomed to, you know, like I used to joke when the Chargers were in town that even the Raiders, you know, like they're always in the guy in the end zone holding John 3.16. I don't know if the guy's still there because the Chargers left the NFL, died to me, and, and that's a different story. <laughs> or maybe I could tweak it back in differently now. But I... But it's like we so know John 3.16. Every, like everybody. We've become so familiar with it that it's lost its, its whole like significance. That when we were so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. As Jesus got on this donkey to make his entrance, this was a father saying, here's my offering that's gonna be given for you. That the wrath that was due you is gonna be placed on him. Jesus saying just a few chapters earlier that that I'm going to go and I'm going to give my life as a ransom, that this was the purchase price to redeem a slave out of slavery. He's beginning the purchasing of buying us out of slavery. It's beautiful. And all you have to do to receive this gift is, is to believe As I look at this story, I can't, as Jesus is making this entry, he's, he's doing this weeping over the city. They're talking a big game. They're praising Hosanna, son of David. But they didn't mean any of it. It was all external. We'll see going into next week as he starts kicking over the tables and he's, he's, he's furious with the external beauty of what they're doing while inside there's death and there's nothing spiritual within them. And I think there's a warning for us. Like here we are on time change weekend and we are at church and the most of the people, like I, I didn't see anybody come in late. And, and, and so we're kind of religious people. And so I think that there's a warning for us that we grow so accustomed to Jesus that we think we have it all figured out and that we think we're right and we kind of grow arrogant. They thought they had it all figured out and they missed the Messiah in their very midst. And so my prayer is that we would grow humility as we approach Jesus, as we walk with him. We would have humility as we read through the scriptures, that it's God's word, allow him to speak, even if and especially if it pushes up against what you might think or know about God. Don't miss who he is. this is the Messiah of Zechariah chapter 14 that's coming to reign and to rule. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the story. I I thank you for the life of Christ. Lord, we pray that as we enter into the the Passion Week and and studying about what Christ did, Lord, I I, I pray that you would... um, Help us to approach this story with with newness. Lord, we confess that as we are so accustomed to the story, it's easy to not be (coughs) awed by it anymore. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to encounter Christ, the Messiah, this Messiah who came humbly as a servant, giving his life for all, has given us the opportunity to enter into a relationship with him through faith. We thank you that our relationship with you is based on grace. Lord, help us to understand this. Father, I pray that as we walk with you, and many in this room have been walking with you for many, many years, Father, we pray that this story um, would never grow old. May our love for you be rekindled. May we grow more and more in awe of you as we go through these stories. Father, we do pray for those that don't know you. Uh, We ask, Lord, um, for those in this room, for those that are hearing this message, for those that aren't here. Lord, we pray that you would help uh, people to to take a step closer to you. We pray um, that people would understand what the gospel is, that they would be able to believe and they would receive uh, the gift. And so, Lord, we are uh, just in awe of you. We give you thanks and praise for the work that you've done on our behalf. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.